Well, good morning, Chapel family. What a wonderful day to be here in the Lord's house together. I encourage you to take your Bibles, if you will, and open to the Gospel of John and chapter 1. I think there's a real danger we face as we come to the celebration of Christmas. That is that it's easy for us to simply become immunized to the wonder of the incarnation of Christ. It's easy to to come where, to get to the point where we say, yeah, I've heard the story before. I know the story of, of the announcement of the birth of Christ to Mary. And I know the story of the taxation and they have to go to Bethlehem. And I know the story of the shepherds and I know the story of the wise men. And we think start thinking we've heard it all before again and again. And we start to take it for granted. And it's a, I think it's a dangerous thing because we miss the fact that this is truly a marvel. This Advent season, my aim is to remind ourselves again of the wonder of the Incarnation. That God became Emmanuel, God with us in the person of Jesus Christ. We noted last week as we were focusing all through this season in the Gospel of John and here in the first chapter, we noticed last week that the Gospel of John doesn't tell us the Christmas story in the usual way. He doesn't relate stories of of the angels and the shepherds and mangers. Instead, John opens his Gospel account focusing on the incarnation and seeking to bring us to our knees in worship at the marvel of just who Jesus is. Particularly in our lessons this month, we're focusing on five titles, five names, five descriptions that John uses for Jesus here in this first chapter. Four of those those titles are found in the first five verses of this book. And last week I encouraged, actually, if you were here, I double-dog dared you to put these five verses to memory, and I'll continue to reiterate that. Actually, today I'll up the ante, I'll triple-dog dare you to put these verses to memory. Matter of fact, an easy way to do that actually would be uh, to simply read them Every day. Uh, in college, I learned the lesson that repetition is the mother of learning. Uh, as we repeat and repeat and repeat, we learn. And so if we go over these verses, I think these verses are so significant that they are worth worthwhile and worthy of putting to memory. So just to help us put them to memory, let's read them together. Would you join me? In the beginning was the Word. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God. All things were made through Him, and without Him was not anything made that was made. In Him was life, and that life was the light of men. And the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. Last Sunday, we looked at verses 1 and 2 where John calls Jesus the Word 
Today we're picking up in verse 3, which says, as we just read, through Him all things were made, and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Our focus this morning is Jesus is the Maker. He is the Creator. John wants to be crystal clear, so he states it clearly and positively. Through Him, that is the Word, that we saw in verses 1 and 2, who later becomes very clear, the Word is Jesus. Through Him, all things were made. Not some things, not a few things, not a lot of things, not most things, but all things were made by Him. If something is anything, He says, it is that something because Jesus made it. Then, just in case that wasn't crystal clear enough, He states it again negatively. He says, without Him, nothing was made that has been made. Nothing came into existence on its own. There was no spontaneous generation. If it's there, He made it. A story was told once of a scientist who prayed and said, Well, God, we don't need you anymore. Science can now do what you did in the beginning. God replied and said, Is that so? Well, tell me more. And the the scientist said, Well, now we can take dirt and create life, turn it into a man. And God said, well, very interesting, show me. The man reached down and picked up some earth and started to work and God said, wait a second, get your own dirt. (laughs) See, people think that matter is eternal. Some folks do, but that's not what the Bible says. If anything is something, if something is anything, it's something because Jesus made it. He created everything. In case we didn't get the point in verse 3 that Jesus is the Creator, He goes down in verse 10 and He says again, He was in the world and though the world was made through Him. Again, Jesus is the Creator. That's not unique here to the Gospel of John, but the rest of Scripture affirms affirms as well that Jesus is Creator. Hebrews chapter 1, verse 2, it says this, But in these last days He, that is God, has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed the heir of all things, and through whom He created the world. In other words, God the Father created the world through God the Son, through Jesus. Colossians chapter 1, verses 16 and 17 similarly say, For by Him, through Jesus, all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. Incidentally, you will note that not only does it say that everything there was created through Jesus, and not only... Is He the Creator? He is the Sustainer. All things were sustained by Him. You can also notice it even says that He is the reason, He is the purpose why everything exists. Why are we here? Why are we alive? We were created, it says, by Jesus, for Jesus. We were created for Him. We exist 
at His pleasure and for His pleasure. We can often learn a lot about an artist by looking at his art, and we learn much about Jesus by looking at what He has made. Creation, of course, tells us of the glory and the grandeur and the the beauty and the power of Jesus. In fact, any words I can use to try to describe His creative handiwork are they just fall woefully short because creation is so awesome. We do well to go out, we've said before, and spend some time and look at it, observe it, study it. Look at the sky. Look at the billions of stars. Then get a telescope and look at the marvels of galaxies. Then turn around and look and look at the power that we see in nature and we learn of the power of God, the power of Christ. We look at the creation, at all the various critters that He has made and we learn of the complexity and the beauty and the wonder and the tenderness of the Creator and all the things that He has made. They're beautiful, they're amazing, it's breathtaking, it's awesome. Psalm 19 says, The heavens declare the glory of God, and the firmament or the skies proclaim the work of His hands. We look at the creation, we see the glory of Jesus. So John here says, as he wants to remind us of the the marvels of the incarnation, he says we need to look at Jesus, we need to remember that Jesus is the Maker of, Along with that, we realize then that Jesus is God. He is the God. Last week we saw in verses 1 and 2 where Jesus is the Word and He says, and the Word was with God and the Word was God. Unequivocally, He says, Jesus is God. Jesus equals God. God equals Jesus. They are distinct. They are unique. They are individual persons and yet they are one and the same God and that's that blows our minds to try to comprehend. But there are some who even claim to be followers of Christ who deny that Jesus is fully, completely, totally God. That He is, some may say He is God, but He is somehow something less than Yahweh, Jehovah God, the Supreme God. For example, the Jehovah's Witnesses will say that. They deliberately mistranslate in their, in their version of the Bible, they deliberately mistranslate verse 1 where it says, in the beginning was the Word and the Word was with God and the Word was God and they add a little letter in there. The Word was a God to justify their viewpoint that He really isn't fully God. They would say that yes, Jesus is the Creator, but God created Jesus who created everything else. But they, as Jesus said of the Pharisees, they err and they do not know the Scriptures. Matter of fact, they do not read this passage very well because if they did, they would realize that John describes Jesus as Maker and Creator as He describes Him as such. He removes any ambiguity 
and states with absolute clarity that any lesser view of Jesus, that He is anything less than absolute God, is simply wrong. See, look again at verse 3. He says there, without Him, without Jesus, nothing was made that has been made. If Jesus were not eternal God, then He would have to be a creation, a creature that God made. But John has clearly stated unequivocally here that no created thing exists that Jesus didn't create. Nothing means nothing. Therefore, Jesus is excluded from being a created being. He is uncreated. And if Jesus is uncreated, He is God. There's more. Jesus is God not only because He's created, but Jesus is God because He is the Creator. Now, I know I've already said that, and we've already said that. We've noted that Jesus is the Maker-Creator. But hang with me for a second. Because you see, if you go back to the Old Testament, you will find passages like Exodus chapter 20 and verse 11, which says this. It says, For in six days... The Lord made the heavens and the earth and the sea and all that is in them. Exodus chapter 31 and verse 17 says the exact same thing. We can go to, to, uh, 1 Chronicles chapter 16 verse 26 which says that it is the Lord who made the heavens. You go to Psalm, uh, 96 verse 5 and it says the same thing. Many of you have been church in church long enough, you've been believers long enough, you've read the Scriptures enough that you understand something. That in most English translations, when you're reading along and you come to the word LORD in the English and it's in all caps, capital L, capital O, capital R, capital D, that it's there to let you know that that word Lord is a translation of a specific word in Hebrew and that word in Hebrew is the name of God, Yahweh or Jehovah. Now most of you have had high school logic. (laughs) Well, maybe better than high school logic. (laughs) Well, it used to be high school logic taught in high school at least. If, Yahweh made the heavens and the earth and the sea and everything in them. That's what it says in Exodus. And we come over here to John. And John says, Jesus made everything and without Him nothing was made that has been made. Then Yahweh and Jesus are one and the same. I mean, to most of us that's obvious in what he says, but apparently to some it's not. So I feel the need for us to see that it's clearly here in the text. Jesus is absolute God. Verse 10, He was in the world. John points out now that the Creator does something absolutely Breathtaking. The Creator enters into His creation. The Maker 
was in the world. We read it last week down in verse 14, chapter 1. The Word became flesh and and dwelt and lived among us. And we realize that it's utterly spectacular. It's not just that the that the Creator, the Maker, enters into His creation, but He becomes a part of His creation. Try to imagine that. As a matter of fact, I encourage you this week, as you continue to prepare your hearts to celebrate the incarnation and the birth of our Savior, try to let your mind Think about the ramifications and the implications of this truth. It's a fantastic truth that is impossible to fully comprehend. But give yourself a mental workout this week and just try to think about it. The infinite enters into the finite. The eternal God takes on mortal flesh. The Almighty becomes vulnerable. Omnipresence is confined. Omnipresence, everywhere present. Omniscience, all-knowing, is limited. Omnipotence, all-powerful, is restrained. And yet somehow in it all, the Scripture tells us, He remains undiminished deity. Jesus doesn't give up deity to become humanity. Jesus adds humanity to His deity. It boggles the mind. But that's just the beginning of what boggles the mind. You know, when a celebrity comes to town, all kinds of things happen. The news starts telling the reports, so-and-so is coming to town. (gasps) Santa Claus. No. (laughs) Last week, it was the president. It's all over the news. The president's coming. Preparations start being made. Important people gather. Crowds start assembling, the red carpet is rolled out, there's fanfare, there's pomp, there's all kinds of stuff because a celebrity is coming to town. Surely there is no greater celebrity in the universe than the Maker of everything. And the Maker comes to His creation. Verse 10 continues, He was in the world. And though the world was made through Him, the world did not recognize Him. We go, what? What's going on? The Creator enters into His creation and the creation, His creatures do not recognize Him. Some 700 years before Jesus came, God spoke through the prophet Isaiah describing the entrance of the Lord of glory into the human race. Listen to what God says through Isaiah. Who has believed our message and to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? 
He grew up before him like a tender shoot, like a root out of dry ground. He had no beauty or majesty to attract us to him. Nothing in his appearance that we should desire him. God says, when the promised one, the Messiah, the Lord of glory, when he comes, he's going to come like a tender shoot. You ever started some plants from seeds? And watched as that first little shoot pops up out of the soil. And it is a fragile little thing. One finger and you just knock it over and crush it. He says, that's how he'll come. Like a root out of dry ground. Have you been out and looked at the ground lately? (laughs) It's so dry. We had a little bit of rain this week, but not enough to even... Keep the ground. I went out a few hours later and it was just dusty again. So glad that it's winter. If it were like this in the spring, we'd be looking at a desert out here. He says, like a root out of dry ground. You imagine a plant trying to pop up and spring up right now with the soil as it is, if it were spring. What's the chances it would survive? Not much. That's how He comes. And with no beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. It says no appearance of celebrity that draws attention where everybody goes, ooh, look at Him. There's a nice looking guy. There's an attractive man. Nothing like that. No beauty or majesty to attract us to Him. Nothing in His appearance to make Him appealing to a world that judges everything by appearances. If you noticed, our world is all big on how you look, what you have. It's all in the outer stuff. When God came into the world, He wasn't about externals. He came instead. He came humbly, plainly, And Isaiah says, who would believe it? Who'd believe this? That's how Jesus came. And yet John writes down in verse 14, he says, in verse 14 of John 1, he says, we have seen His glory, glory as of the only only Son from the Father, full of grace and truth. And so what John just says there is that the glory of God could be clearly seen in Jesus. We saw it. So how do we reconcile the two statements here in John? He comes humbly and plainly and John says in verse 10, His creation did not recognize Him. And yet John says, we beheld His glory. The glory as of the only Son of the Father, full of grace and truth. How do we put those together? (laughs) We saw His glory and yet His creation missed Him. They did not recognize Him. Was His glory visible or not? The answer is simply this. It wasn't that the, the Creator, the Maker, couldn't be recognized in Jesus. It's that they wouldn't recognize Him. They refused. 
He was there to be seen. The reality of Jesus' identity was evident, but the blindness of sin kept many from receiving Him. So John wrote, he came to that which was his own, his own people, the people that God chose to be his own people, the Jews, the ones to whom they had, they had the words of the prophet, they had Isaiah's prophecies clearly describing who Jesus would be, and yet when he came, they refused him. Again, It was anticipated 700 years earlier as Isaiah kept writing in Isaiah 53, verse 3, he said, He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and familiar with suffering. Like one from whom men hide their faces, he was despised and we esteemed him not. The Jews wanted a celebrity. They wanted a Santa Claus who would bring gifts They wanted a celebrity who would be popular. They wanted a a deliverer who would save them in the way they wanted to be saved. And they refused Him because Jesus wasn't the Jesus they wanted. So it is today with so many. They will follow a God. They will follow a Jesus of their own design and of their own making, but they refuse the Jesus who came. The Jesus whom Scripture speaks of. So the Maker came. He entered into His creation and He was rejected. He suffered. He was familiar with suffering. He was a man of sorrows. And we ask the question, why? Why would He do such a thing Why would the Creator of all humble Himself and come into the creation in obscurity and in poverty to suffer only to be rejected by those who were to be, who should have been His own people? Why would He do that? Especially knowing that it wasn't that He came and He was surprised. (laughs) Well, who would have anticipated this? (laughs) Because God made it clear in the Scriptures centuries before God knew it would happen. Matter of fact, God knew it would happen. Scripture tells us before the creation ever happened. So why would God do it? It's a mystery. Why would God create (laughs) knowing that He would have to come into this world and be rejected. Why? His creation is beautiful. It's breathtaking. It's amazing. It's awesome. Whether we look big or small, it's all those things, but it's also broken. It was broken by man's sin and it came under God's curse and under the curse of sin. And the brokenness shows itself in so many ways. It shows itself in disease and in war, in violence, in natural disasters. It shows itself in poverty. It shows itself in substance abuse. It shows itself in just senseless murder, killing, 
such as Aztec, New Mexico this last week. One more in a seems like a never-ending stream of senseless murders. A young man disillusioned with life, to paraphrase from his words, life stinks, my job stinks, school stinks, everything stinks, I just want out of this mess. And he decided he wanted to kill as many people as he could in the process. He goes into a high school, kills two students, and intends to kill more, tries to kill more, and then takes his life. And we can see the beauty of creation. We can also see it is terribly broken. Isaiah 53 goes on to explain why Jesus was coming. He says, Surely He took up our infirmities. He carried our sorrows. Yet we considered Him stricken by God, smitten by Him and afflicted, but He was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was upon Him. And by His wounds we are healed. See, mankind's problem was much bigger than the symptoms of sin. It wasn't just the poverty and the war and the violence and the senseless killing and all of that stuff. Mankind's great problem was the penalty of sin. The ultimate penalty is facing God's just and righteous wrath and judgment on sin. The consequence of eternal hell. But as Isaiah said, Jesus came to be stricken by God in our place, to be pierced and crushed because of our sin, that His death would provide peace with God and healing from sin and its penalty. Which raises another question. Why would God care for us that much? So much that the the Maker of everything, the, the eternal, infinite, almighty God would take on humanity and enter into this broken, flawed place to suffer hunger and hurt and pain and rejection and to die just to rescue you and me from sin? Why would He do that? instead of wiping us out like an offensive little bug on our kitchen floor, which we do so easily, why would He care? The God who spoke everything into existence with His words. God spoke and it was so. All it takes is one word and it's gone and He starts all over. And it wasn't an accident that he was surprised because the Scripture says this was his plan all along before the foundations of the world. He knew exactly what would happen and what he would do and he did it. And we wonder why. I'll tell you, I don't have an answer to that. I can't answer that. The only answer I can give is the one answer 
that God gives. Just a couple of chapters later from John chapter 1, you flip over to John chapter 3 and He gives an answer. For God so loved the world. There it is. It was because of love. God so loved the world that He gave His only Son. That's why Jesus came. Because He loved the world so that whoever believes in Him should not perish. Will not have to suffer hell. But instead have eternal life. For God did not send His Son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through Him. We believe, trust in Jesus as our Savior. We're rescued from perishing. We're rescued from hell. We're given eternal life. There's a Christmas message. That's why Jesus came. But that's not the end of the astounding stuff in these verses. And connected with Jesus as the Maker, there's one more thing I've got to point out. He came unto His own, and His own we did not did not receive Him, verse 11. But would you notice verse 12? Yet to all who received Him, to those who believed on His name, He gave the right to become children of God, children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, or of a husband's will, but born of God. We learned last week that Jesus, the Word, the Word became man to reveal God to us as words reveal thoughts so that you can know my thoughts and I can know yours. Jesus the Word became man so that God would be revealed to us so that we could know Him and He us. Now, here we learn that all who receive Jesus the Creator may be recreated, reborn. The Creator, the Maker, gives a new birth. To all who received and to those who believed on His name, He gave the right to be reborn. Not in a physical birth, but it's an analogy. Like a physical birth places us into a physical family. A spiritual birth places us into... God's spiritual family. The Maker came so that you and I can become children of God, so we can be in His family. And I tell you, if you want something to chew on this Christmas season, chew on that a little bit. See, it says something. If I decide I want to spend a little time with you and I call you up. And I say, hey, this Keith, I'd like to spend a little time with you. How about let's do lunch? Says something even more if I say, and I'll buy. Let's do lunch. Because I just want to hang out with you. That says something. I think you're pretty cool. I want to spend time with you. Wow. How it says more and what a bigger deal it is if if I 
spend a lot of time. I sacrifice a lot of time. I sacrifice a lot of effort. I sacrifice a lot of my resources and my finances to help you in a, in a problem, in a situation. Because you have a need and I give of myself immensely to help you in a need. That says so much more. Let me tell you, it's a really, 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 I mean, it's really big. If I take you to my home and I bring you in and I give you a seat at our dining room table with my wife and my kids and my grandkids, And I give you the keys to the car, write you into the will, and I say, your family. That's what John just says here, Jesus did for us. The Maker became one of us so that we can know Him and He can know us. The Maker sacrificed Himself to rescue us. All of that is astounding and unthinkable. And then, He brings us into the family. Can you imagine? Jesus is the Almighty Creator God and as such, He deserves our worship. As the Almighty God, He deserves our obedience. But that He became man, He deserves our wonder and our awe that He would stoop so low as to come and be one of us. That He sacrificed Himself to rescue us. That demands our trust and our gratitude. But oh my, that He made us family. Wow. That deserves our eternal love. May we see Christmas in a whole different way this year as we reflect on these things. Father, thank You for Your Word. It tells us stuff we, we need to know. Forgive us, we have often taken these truths and we've just taken them for granted. Yes, Jesus is God. Yes, Jesus became man. Yes, Jesus came to be my Savior. Yes, He died on the cross for my sin. Oh, Lord, forgive us that we have taken it such great and high and lofty things and we've made them commonplace. But I pray that this morning we will have caught just afresh and anew the wonder of Emmanuel, God with us. And all the blessings that have come with that of salvation and of family. Father, may we give You the worship and the praise and the love that is due to You because of all that You have given and done for us. This we ask in Jesus' name. Amen.